0: Craft Beer Radio, Episode 87, August 13th, 2007.
1: From the Craft Beer Radio, the show dedicated to craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I'm Greg Weiss. I'm Jeff Baer. Joining us on the phone is Julia Hertz from the Brewers Association. Hello, Julia. Hello, everyone. She's going to be talking with us about some Brewers Association topics and also joining us for a new Belgium vertical. Yeah, so she wanted to drink some beers on the show. I'm
2: like, that's an interesting idea. Let's give it a try, see how it works. And she's like, you know, just tell me what beers you have that I can get in Colorado. I'm like, well, have you heard of this little brewery called New Belgium Brewing (laughs) Company?
0: And oh, yes, I have.
2: Right. We had a listener send us some of the. Um, we don't get New Belgium at all here in Pittsburgh. They don't ship, you know, west of St. Louis or east of St. Louis. So we had a listener send us a couple of the harder to finds because we've had Fat Tire and Abbey and 1554. But uh, for us, these four, these beers we're going to be having tonight are all brand new. But before we get to the beers, let's talk a little bit about you, Julia.
1: Julia is the C- director of craft beer marketing division for the, for the Brewers Association. And uh, well, she's certainly had uh, a lot of experience and a lot of great stuff going on here. Why don't you tell us a little bit of
2: what your general duties are, what you do day to day?
0: My general duties are mammoth and massive and so fun, I just can't stand it. Um, essentially, this division for the Brewers Association was created by Ray Daniels, who's my predecessor in this job and absolutely huge shoes to fill i mean talk about trying to pick up where somebody like ray daniels left off is Mm. is um always overwhelming in my mind but he nobody like him could have gotten something like this created and the division adds to what the brewers association does on behalf of its members which the majority of its members are craft brewers um and the whole role of what i do is to market craft beer to the media And, um, you know, also to the the general public. So we're just trying to get the word out there about craft beer. And I kind of call it sweet justice because I worked at the Association of Brewers before it was the BA or the Brewers Association in the late 90s as the sales manager. I sold all the ads for Zymergy, New Brewer, and the like. Okay. And um, the reason I call it sweet justice is because it was hard times. The mid-90s had come about, things, the shakeout in the industry kind of happened and you know that saturation of uh, brands on the shelves from a lot of brewers that weren't necessarily in for the long haul um, had all come into play and so it it was it was hard sales times in a way and then i took 5 years um, had two children in those 5 years and also was redstone meadery's first employee for the first you know for the first 5 years of the company And um, that was just a great experience. It was building from the ground floor up a company that now has distribution in 25 states. And then, essentially, Uh I got the job um, stepping into Ray's um, role, who he now is still with the Brewers Association, just merely director of brewers publications so his division publishes all the books that we do right so he now doesn't have to do two divisions (laughs) he just does one which is what he deserves to only have to do
3: right Um, so so quick
0: mouthful but that's kind of the 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 role of division is to get the word out there about craft beer and the times right now are just i think a booming and and a great time to be talking about this beverage that i'm just such a fan of um and, you know, flavor and diversity is what it's all about. And I just love flavorful and diverse beers. So I get to talk about it all day long.
2: Right. I was just going to say from your resume home brewer, you know, just overall beer lover, you must be living the dream.
0: It is. It's really cool. I mean, I, I landed the right place to decide to live, you know. I mean, Colorado Beer Central, Great American Beer Fest, the association's here. So I got lucky on where I found my way because I came, you know, to be in Maryland and, and grew up in the D.C. area. So I think I just got lucky.
1: <laughs> right. Now, you, you you mentioned about how um, you're dealing with the media, and it, it seems like you're kind of talking about sort of you're looking for uh, something of a media trickle-down effect. You want to talk to the media about craft beer in the, in the sense that that will get more word out to other people who are reading their stories, and hopefully that will just magnify.
0: Yeah, in a way. I mean, I'm pretty proactive. We're doing outreach right now for the Great American Beer Festival, for example, and um, I'm finding media before they would find us. And... It's just an extension of what we need to do more of. Um, a lot of the time when press person calls, oh, how'd you find the Brewers Association? They will have Googled it. They didn't know that we were out there. But, you know, a good percentage of the time they will have known. So, I mean, my goal is just to have the Brewers Association be known as an authority on craft beer so we can have that comfort level knowing that the, the media most of the time um, are hopefully going to find us first so we can get the right information out there first and foremost.
1: Do you get uh, sometimes some sort of pushback from the media? Like I remember we had uh, – we talked about – I think it was an article in the Pittsburgh Review about somebody who said beer is for working class people only and that's all it ever should be. And we, we just felt like that's a really kind of old style way to look at beer. Do you ever have media people who just don't want to hear about beer being a, a decent beverage?
0: Well, we're among friends here in this podcast, so I'll say a lot of the wine folks don't. Um, You know, and I'm pitching them. I'm talking to the wine folks because uh, two-thirds of the wine drinkers drink craft beer and two-thirds of the craft beer drinkers drink wine. And so there's a tremendous amount of crossover and a good, fun argument I have where I might even lose some media conversations over it, but I push the point is, like, how does a newspaper or magazine decide to support a freelance wine columnist and give them a column every other month, but they won't have anyone dedicated to beer. When by the way, production of beer in the US is king and we're producing, you know, uh, so much more beer in the US than we are US wine and you know, Gallup that you guys mentioned in the poll in the last broadcast, Gallup comes out and says beer is America's favorite beverage second year in a row. So, no no matter what, the statistics are there to say that Beer is king, and I just I I really think that people that drink wine have advanced palates, and they're, they're, um it took them practice to get to know what they like, and so I think there's such an untapped um, potential market for craft brewers because if they're in and into what they drink and appreciate finer beverages with flavor and diversity then they're potentially, you know, craft beer drinkers.
2: You just have to break that stereotype that that the big brewers have spent 40 years with TV and radio commercials creating, I guess, huh?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Beer is definitely stereotyped. And frankly, there's we call craft beer a segment of the beer category. So, you know, when I talk about beer, I never say the word beer. I talk about craft beer because that's, you know, that's the one... You'd never work for the Champagne Association and, and refer to it as wine. You'd properly refer to it as what it was.
2: Okay. Very good. So, tonight on the show, we're going to be uh, doing New Belgium Brewing Company. We have a little bit of information here. They opened in 1991. Their annual production is around 300,000 barrels. The, the brewer is Peter Buchert, who comes to New Belgium from Rodenbach which uh, is a brewery that Greg and I particularly like, because we like those sour beers.
0: had a great sour beer. I don't know if you guys had this. Um, and it wasn't too sour. It was so balanced. It almost tastes like a sour brown ale, but I don't know what it is. Um, Moxie by New Holland.
2: Okay, New Holland's just became available in our area, but I haven't seen Moxie here at all. I think I may have heard of that. I'll have to keep an eye out
0: for it. I mean, they sent a bottle to the office. Gorgeous presentation, 750 ml package with the cork and, you know, cage and... Just a just a really good anniversary beer for their tenth anniversary that they should be very proud of. It was it was balanced. It had some acidity, some sourness, little maltiness. It was just great.
2: That's cool. Yeah, I mean, some of my favorite let's see, American sour ones would have to be LaFolly, um Roja from Jelly Pumpkin. Haven't had any Flanders Reds. Or, I'm not sure if Russian Rivers made any Flanders Reds, but I've had some of their. Britannomyces beers like uh, Sanctification, and that one was pretty nice, too. Had the aroma of uh, rotten eggs, but it sure tasted good. (laughs) So the first beer that we're going to open up, and you can crack yours open too, Julia, is the Blue Paddle Pilsner Lager from New Belgium.
0: Of which I served a keg of this at my wedding. Oh, okay. With other flavors as well.
1: (laughs) This is, uh, like we said, a German Pilsner, uh, 4.9% alcohol by volume brewed year-round. So, pours like a you would expect a Pilsner too. It's got a straw uh, color, golden color. It's very clear. Obviously, this is bottle this is not bottle condition. This is, which would be kind of hard to do with the
2: yeah. I mean, well, well, with the lager right? You really don't have to filter it. Maybe Joey has some more insight on whether they actually filter the beer, since we're kind of foreign to New Belgium in general.
0: You should slap me silly, but I can't tell you if they filter it or not. I do not okay.
1: know. Okay, it's got about a finger's worth of white, pillowy head on it. And has a that distinctive sort of Pilsner malt smell with the uh, with the noble hop aroma, a bit of sulfur, a
0: little bit of
1: sulfur, yeah. bit of sulfur right?
2: Yeah. In the description, it says it's a um, traditional Belgian Pils, and is or it's it's more than a traditional Belgian Pils, and it's closer to a, bo- a Bohemian style. It is not as orangish as like a Pilsner Quail would be. It's a little bit yellow straw hint of gold to it
0: my favorite thing about looking at this beer right now is just the way the bubbles rise i mean it's very effervescent it's a happy beer
2: <laughs> yeah you know it's nice and golden clear like that you can just watch the, the nucleation points spawn off the the little bubbles and it's like a lava lamp
1: <laughs> it is nice so let's get, have a little taste here really bready flavor i think i'm, I'm hit with initially um Oh, and there's that hop bitterness at the end. Right? right. It takes a while for that to come through. You're hit with an initial kind of brightness and, and, and uh, uh, a brightness. And then th- at the end, you get uh, all that noble, uh, all that noble, probably Zot's hops.
2: Yeah, for balanced. The- I
0: think it's definitely balanced.
2: Yeah, it's nice. It starts off with the malt, and then it finishes with the, the hops. But it's not too out of bound either way. And... Um, finishes nice and clean and the first thing i've noticed and Julia, maybe you can help us out here out of the the new Belgiums that we've had so far other than the waffley i i really haven't been that excited with them it seems like they all have the same kind of flavor to it um last time greg we had a beer greg mentioned it had an earthy flavor i can't remember which one that was and I got an email from a listener who says that's funny because he thought New Belgium always reminded him of tasting like dirt, and he wasn't really being mean; he was just you know putting it away. And do they use a how? I mean, do they have a standard house yeast they use for like a lot of their beers, like most of them?
0: Well, I should have. Twi- I I actually should have inquired about that. In that I listened to the podcast. Um, I think you guys were tasting the Mothership Whip.
2: Yeah, that's that's the one we had. And for a whip beer, I wasn't really expecting to have the same kind of character that we get off fat tire 1554 abbey and um i did so that's when i started considering that they might use the same yeast for a lot of their beers
1: well even if they did they probably wouldn't use it for a pilsner yeah you
2: you couldn't use a belgian based yeast for a pilsner that would give you that would that'd be oxymoronic right because it would give you all the esters and fruit and flower flavors which were supposed to be Absent in a pilsner supposed to be a yeah, nice We clean. wouldn't be
0: getting what we were getting now right. I mean, Hands down this is some some form of Yeast that's meant for pilsners I don't really know what they mean by Belgian pilsner though
2: Yeah I'm not sure off the top of my head either When I read it I just presumed You know in a portion of Belgium Close to Germany perhaps You know where there might be a, a pilsner type Style Maybe a, 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 lighter, a lighter lager That you know is in the region But I'm not an expert of all the different regions of Belgium
0: yeah, but I think for a Pilsner, they should be proud. I mean, it's definitely just, it comes together. It's it it's, it's also got flavor. Mm-hmm. It's not too light. It's got yeah. a nice body and mouth feel, and it really just comes together, and, and it makes you want another sip after each sip is finished. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's got a real decent hot bite, which you really want out of a good Pilsner.
2: Right, something to, to grab you at the end yeah. and suck you back in. But yeah, there's... When you first cracked it, I smelled a little bit of that sulfur that you mentioned, but it's kind of varied out, so I'm not really getting it anymore. I'm still getting a little bit of, um maybe a little bit of sulfur DMS type thing. In what I aroma. got
1: actually, when I swirled it up a bit, and I was kind of surprised by this, because it's only 4.9%, I got a, a healthy bit of alcohol in the aroma. Uh I'm not really tasting a lot of alcohol, but it definitely came through in the aroma.
2: Okay, I'm not smelling anything like that, but...
0: You know, what's tru- inter- truly unique about this beer, for New Belgium to me at least, is that it's it's very pure flavors. I mean, and for a brewery that's making Belgian-style st- beers, this is a true German Pilsner to me. And that's that's kind of fun.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. And I would, after drinking it, I would almost disagree that they say it's closer to a Bohemian style. It's definitely closer to a variant style, in my opinion, where it's more hop-forward than malt-forward. Mm -hmm. And um, at least I'm drawing on, I had a Pilsner coil just last week. So that's mostly mostly what I'm drawing my opinion from, because that's very fresh in my memory. It was delicious, uh, but it was a lot more malty with a little bit of toastiness to it, and then the hops at the end. Where this one is on the other side, where you get with Bavarian pilsners, which are a lot more crisp and less, a little bit less malty in the front.
1: I wouldn't have agreed with you after the first sip, Jeff, because like I said, I first got malt and then hops, but now uh, as it's maybe warming up just a bit, I'm getting a lot of hops like right away. Right. Yeah, it's a hoppy. I
0: mean, it's a craft pilsner. They ain't scared of the hops.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. And I, I like what you were saying, Julia, about how, I mean, most when you think of Belgian beers, you think of, uh, I don't want to bring back that adjective again necessarily because it may have a negative connotation, but I, I like dirty in the sense that there's other, there's lots of other flavors mixed in. There's It's not necessarily crisp and, and clean beer in general when you're thinking of a Belgian brewery, and here we go with this really crisp and clean beer from a Belgian brewery.
2: Right, right. Um, a little bit more history about New Belgium. The owner, Jeff Liebisch, is that how you pronounce his name? Do you know Julia?
0: I don't think you're saying it right.
2: Okay. Liebesch?
0: Jeff and Kim, you're talking about?
2: Yeah. What's Jeff's last name?
0: I, you know, I always assumed he was. Um, I, I. What's Kim's last name again? Why am I blanking?
2: I. I didn't put Kim's last name on here. I saw her I have first it name,
0: the, at the tip of my piece of paper here. I mean, Kim <laughs> is just so active in the Brewers Association. She's okay. like totally spearheading what a lot of the craft brewers are doing. And by the way, she put the charge out there. For the craft brewers to try and get to ten percent market share. Oh, okay. Mm. Um, and she, I think, really set the tone for the whole industry when she did that at a talk a few years ago at the craft brewers conference. Okay. But anyway, it's Kim Jordan.
2: Kim Jordan. Okay. Well, Kim and and Jeff, uh, brewery owner of New Belgium, since we're not sure his last name, it's either Liebisch or Lebesh. He was on a uh, bike trip across Europe and was inspired by the Belgian ales. Came home, home brewed some uh, Belgian style ales on his home brew. And uh, from there, it turned into a uh, professional brewer. The first two beers were the Abbey and the Fat Tire. So it's one of those home brewer turned pro dream stories, right? It's there. interesting
1: that you know Fat Tire is probably New Belgium's most famous beer, and it started as a guy's home brew. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, as far as I understand it, their top selling brand. We were in D.C. at a great tasting that we got to put on in literally the um, con- one of the congressional office buildings. And uh, the Congressional staffers in D.C., and you can't even get New Belgian beers, they're not distributed in D.C., they just kept asking time and time again for fat tire. Huh. all they wanted.
3: Right,
2: yeah, I remember that story about you guys putting on the, uh, the little beer fest for the Congressional staffers in uh, Congress. Okay, so um, the next beer we're going to go to... Are you to, ready for
1: another beer, Julia? Yeah, let's
0: go. Okay, all right.
2: so we're going to do the skinny dip next. This is a... Uh, what did they call
1: American it? Blonde Ale.
2: American Blonde Ale. Interesting. It also seems to be a low-calorie, not very filling beer. They mentioned it's 110 calories for uh, a serving here.
1: Now, this is an adjunct because they, they have kefir lime in this?
2: It's a, a seasoning. I wouldn't really say adjunct. No, I guess Adjuncts not. Adjunct is usually when you add fermentable minimal grains like right. corn or rice or something like that.
1: But they definitely lime added... Lime
0: leaf. Kefir lime leaf.
1: Hmm. Okay. All right, so it's just sort of added for a little bit of extra seasoning.
0: Yeah, uh, I would say, in, you know, in place of hops or with the addition of hops, just for what the same thing hops are doing.
1: Yeah, they have casket hops in there, too. But interesting. Never had a beer with kefir lime in it. If you think...
2: So now this beer oh. colors pours the color that I would expect when they said Bohemian Pilsner. This is almost the exact same color as the Pilsner or that I had the other day. It's, um... An orangish,
1: tangerineish sort of orange, maybe.
2: Right. Pours with a nice, uh, fla- fluffy white head on it.
1: I'm trying to figure out what that smell is.
2: Probably the lime leaf. It is a little. It's like a vegetal type, not vegetal. Vegetal we use when we talk about like DMS and green right. beans. It's more of a um, foliage type aroma, <laughs> where it's like. Like Something like if you took some leaves off a tree crushed them up Picture a (laughs) rainforest If you took some leaves off a tree and crushed them up I'm kind of smelling what you smell off oak leaves or maple leaves or something like that when you just crush them up and smell them Like dried ones? No, green Green.
0: I did get some nice, just a beautiful perfumey floral sense in that first hit to my nose Hmm. And then I went to that earthy crunched up leaf type
2: of aroma yeah I'm getting a bunch of the hops, not, I mean I'm not picking out like cascade hops or something but I'm getting the floral hops and lime leaf and things like that, I'm not really getting too much malt on the aroma okay so I just took my maybe first, maybe weedy like perhaps, garden weeds weeds <laughs> that's that's so appealing, good way to put it
1: but I mean, earthy and greeny. I mean, I mean, those are the only things I can really come to words with, and it's not really
0: rainy, grassy, husky. I'm getting that in the taste.
2: Right. Yeah, I just took my first sip, and the first thing I noticed mm. was the 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 caramel mal- malts that are in it. So it gave me a little bit more sweet malty flavor than I had anticipated from. What I was anticipating, American Blondale, a, a light beer because right. it's 110 calories. And the first thing it gave me was this almost Vienna Lager type malt flavor.
1: That kefir Lime is is very interesting in in what it's doing here. It's really bringing. Um, I mean, it's not direct. It's not like a lime flavor, not what you'd expect. It, not not
2: like a Corona, but. Right. It, in the like mid to late aftertaste, there is a lime flavor that comes in there.
1: It's a little a little bit of, of that sourness, a little bit of the brightness, but there's a real, uh, I think Julie said, kind of grassy thing that comes right yeah. in the front.
0: I get a little bit of carbonic bite, too, all of a sudden. A little bit of that just like almost club soda. It's a very, very... It's a light beer with flavor, mm-hmm. but it's light. It's definitely light.
2: I, I'd want, You know what I would like to do? I would like to compare... Mold flavor in this versus a Sam Adams Light.
0: That'd be a good one.
2: To see how they compare, because they could be very similar. Now, this one's definitely set apart by that, that spiced lime leaf flavor
1: that's in Right. There. I think that's there in order to to cover up for the fact that it is, is kind of a lighter beer, and it's it's brewed with, um, I mean, it's going to have a little bit less flavor than, it, than its stronger cousins. So they added some things in there to kind of give it a, a punch.
2: It is certainly different from my expectations when I read American Blondale. That's for sure. That category, which I believe I I got that off the Beer Advocate site. That categorization, it might not be what the brewer intended, but it's I wouldn't. It's not necessarily what I think I'm drinking right now.
1: For those who are watching their carbs, it says seven grams of carbs, uh, 110 calories per twelve ounce serving. So
2: it's the only beer on their website where they mentioned the calories and the carbs. So you can tell it's designed to be the lighter bodied beer for people who. Well, it's called Skinny Dip too. Right. So.
0: I think it'd be a good. I mean, there might be debate going on about really what is a session beer to one person over another, but I mean, you could drink several of these and be happy.
1: And four point two percent, I think it would definitely qualify as a session beer. Yeah, that,
0: that's
2: a Definitely in the session beer range. I mean, some people put a top end off at five percent or mm-hmm. five point two. Yeah, so four point two is I would you know, say like a real true, you know, English mild or something. Probably tops out at about four percent. But 4.2 is close enough, so certainly.
1: Once you get used to that, that flavor, I think the kefir lime starts to really really dominate this. Um, it, it's hitting up. It's kind of mingling a bit with some of that Cascade flavor as well, a little bit of that grapefruity hit with that uh, citrusy lime kind of flavor.
2: See, I'm, I'm getting pretty excited now because now this is two beers in a row that didn't hit me with the same old New Belgium flavor. <laughs> and I, I mean, because I, I really keep trying these new ones, because other than La Folie, I haven't hit, found anything that's really excited me. And it's nice getting these flavors, and it's not the, because the, that house flavor, that that earthy dirt flavor, just, it's kind of like Unibrew for me, where that the house flavor of their yeast really doesn't do it for me either. And it's it's an earthy flavor as well. So I'm happy to find some beers from New Belgium that aren't in the same mold as what we're used to having.
0: You know what's amazing to me about New Belgium is how they did what they did in the early days. I mean, and they were, you know, stomping the streets, their sales guys, trying to get people to pick up and carry their beers and, and get accounts for them. And they were doing that with Belgian-style beers, with beers with off flavors that hmm. were strategic but but there, and just like with beers that were completely new to most of the American public. Right. And now they're the third largest craft brewer. And, I mean, it's amazing how they did that. They didn't just do it with styles that everybody was used to. They did it with what you're talking about, the the um, you know the out there yep. stuff. They,
2: they definitely took the, uh, the tougher road to become an established brewery, that's for sure.
1: But I wonder if that also may have helped them a bit in the sense that people do know, even people who aren't really big beer fans, know that Belgium has some interesting beers and that they're... If they hear it's a Belgian-style beer, they're kind of willing to give it a little bit of more of a chance.
2: That's probably such a small part of the market that most of their battle was selling their beers in the mid to early to mid-90s to these bars that mostly were like, you know, Bud Light's the number one selling beer right. in the country. What do you have that's like that, you know?
1: You know, speaking of the mid-90s, and Julie, you mentioned the sort of 90s spike that happened Uh, Where there were a bunch of craft brews out there But it was kind of I don't know how exactly How would you describe that Where they were there It was like a flash in the pan
0: It it was I think uh, a lot at once And what happened was There was probably interest Or there proven was interest in the marketplace But at the account level Distributors and retailers carried a lot of it But some of it wasn't good And so people, when they got that first bottle of a new brand with an innovative-looking package, tried it, and it didn't taste right. And so that was part of the problem. So a lot of brands were on the shelves, and people grabbed sometimes one that wasn't um, up to snuff, or there was too many brands on the shelves at once, and people were maybe confused. And nowadays, if you're a brand on the shelf, you're there because you're a world-class beer. It's so competitive nowadays. I mean, of the 1,440 breweries in the United States right now, that's the number, just under 1,400 of those are craft brewers. And they're um, you know smaller producing, that means under 2 million barrels, independently owned and traditionally practicing, meaning they ferment mostly malt. Um, and you're on the shelf nowadays or in a restaurant on a draft account because you're making world-class stuff.
2: Right, so I mean, while we're finishing up this beer, Julia, tell us what's going on in the craft brewing industry right now.
0: Well, lots of stuff. We got the uh, twenty-sixth Great American Beer Festival coming up. Um,
2: that's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm Greg can't make it, but I'm going to be there, so it's going to be fun.
0: Good, good, good. And uh, I mean, it, you're taking the time to make a trip that hopefully is very worthwhile. How many GABS have you been to?
2: This will be my first.
0: Oh my God, you're you really? Yep. That's incredible, and yet you are. I mean, two years into this
2: show—that's—that's that's amazing. Yeah, last year, you know, we didn't have any funds, and uh, this year we had a listener donate some frequent flyer miles. Thank you, right. Gary, for me, and uh, we have the money to send Greg, but he's unfortunately can't get the time off work. So, tough. so next year, Greg hopes. Unfortunately,
1: to make it. work does trump all of it. Right. Until this becomes our job.
2: So yeah, I can't wait to meet you at the Great American Beer Fest. We, d- be we
1: don't have a great job like yours, where it's all about beer.
0: Yeah, well, you guys might turn it into that if you keep it
2: up. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it's a—it's uh, always a possibility. But right now, it's just a hobby.
0: How'd you guys get your um, full-page ad in Draft Magazine? That seems like a good little partnership there.
2: Um, they wanted to to uh, to work with us, and they were going to. Um Give us content to put on the show to help prevent the magazine, but they never got around to doing that. So uh, we promote them, and they uh, give our listeners a discount that's eight dollars off the regular price. You can go to our website, Draft Magazine or <laughs> CraftBeerRadio to get that discount.
1: I like how you snuck that. Yes,
2: yeah. and um, but you know we're the only thing we're getting is that full page ad, and I presume we only get it until they fill up all their full page ad sales, and then we're going re- to be booted off it. But we've gotten a bunch of listeners from that thing. So oh, absolutely. So, I
0: think they're at like. And I, I don't want to improperly represent, but they're at least at 125,000 circulation.
2: Yeah, so we're getting a lot of attention. So we do enough to, you know, hopefully keep our ad there, you know, a couple more months.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's big time. Definitely.
2: So so what did you think of the ad itself? I, I wanted to get beers in there that would really catch the beer geek's eye.
0: Well, I really, frankly, you did a good enough job where to me it was nondescript. I just remember the microphone with the beers, right?
2: Okay. If you really pay attention though There's a Russian River, a Lafley's in the background uh, We have Breakfast Stout. uh There's a Bigfoot Barley Wine There's Victory, Old Horizontal So I, when I picked some pretty exciting beers out of my cellar When I staged that photograph Because I was hoping it'd catch the hardcore beer geek's eye When they're flipping through And like, hey, there's Breakfast out on a beer ad That's pretty cool So other than the Great American Beer Fest what What, what should we, our listeners, know about?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I think your listeners, you could describe for me, I mean, I'm one of them, um, but you could maybe describe for me if I'm categorizing wrong, but your listeners are the true beer enthusiasts. And they don't have to be homebrewers, but they're certainly interested in listening to what you do, which is sit around and drink beer and discuss <laughs> right. beer.
3: Right. And
0: that's, you know, you, there's so much to be said for that. There's a lot of talking about it, but when you tasting is believing kind of thing. hmm So, you know, just like the festival GABF, I don't think craft beer would be where it was without the award system that the GABF established. And what the brewers are doing now is just totally cutting edge because they can go out and actually taste each other's beers at festivals. I mean, the festival environment is pretty huge, and the Brewers Association supports all the festivals that's going on out there and wants people to attend them. Because the smaller brewers, a lot of the time, I mean, the majority of the craft brewers are um, not distributed out of state. And so when you can get someplace to actually taste them, um, that's a big deal. Right. And so, you know, just just huge things. And the AHA conference just got finished. Some of your um, your downloaders, I guess we could call us, uh, <laughs> probably were there. And that was just awesome. I sat and watched Vinny from Russian River give a talk. Um <laughs>
3: Man, Firestone
0: Walker Matt Brendelstein, I think, is his last name. Gave a great talk about you know how he does his blending beers and just the content for that. I mean, the the professional brewers are really paying homage to the home brewers. And the AHA, for those that don't know, or the American Homebrewers Association, is a division of the Brewers Association. And I mean, we literally estimate that there's probably five hundred thousand home brewers out there at least. And um those are the folks that are out there kind of leading the charge to say, hey, support your local brewery. Um, And another cool fact is Ray Daniels actually came up with this and did a study and some research to get it confirmed that the average American now lives within 10 miles of a brewery. Right. And I'd love to tell the media that because that's not the case with wineries. And um, so the craft brewers are really kind of good, solid, community citizens, and they support their backyard, and they donate, you know, money and beer and, and labor, and they really just get and throw throw what they've got into their community, and then the community comes back and in turn supports them, so, you know, buying local beer is another little mantra that I love to get out there and have, you know, fans of craft beer remind people, hey, buy local when it comes to beer, because you're probably supporting your, you know, your local craft brewery then.
2: Right. I have a question for you, and it's going to make you think on your feet a little bit here. All right. I, I want uh, I want you to point out uh, a brewery that I might not have heard of, or a brewery that I'm not aware that is doing something really exciting right now. I mean, we've heard of Russian River. We know Jolly Pumpkin's making some sour beers. What's a brewery that um, I might not have heard of that's like going to be like the next big thing, or, or the little guy who's doing something really innovative? You
0: know who? comes up on my radar, um, I mean, and that's a hard question because there's, you know, definitely some good examples. Um, Have you guys had any any beers from Maui Brewing Company?
2: Uh, Yes, I've had the Pipeline Porter, I think. Is that that from Maui?
0: There's a Coconut Porter.
2: Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) Which is awesome. And it won. What did it win? I mean, it was... Seriously, it was one of my favorite porters I've ever gotten the chance to try, and it really had a sense of coconut and a little bit of oil to it. Um, there's actually a Polish Pilsner, or, sorry, Polish Porter out there that's um, got some beans in it okay. for the brand of that. But it, re- I mean, it's got oil to it from the beans, and the same effect happened with the coconut. But anyway, okay. they're real progressive in their marketing. They have so much fun to play with. Frankly, their um, their bikini blonde lager. Uh, is one of the best loggers i've ever had and they're they're just doing big things for a little guy and they're all packaged in cans too oh. so a okay, lot so of th- no
2: that's not the one the one from hawaii that we had the pipeline porter whoever makes that they um have someone in oregon contract brew for them at least for the you know you know the the continental distribution okay so probably not maui because it certainly wasn't in a can so I, remember, I wonder which one that was.
1: Does that make Maui... I mean, th- does having everything in the can make it easier for them to get it off of the island?
0: You know, that's probably an interesting point and a good one. Um, I, I can't confirm, but it certainly would be easier for transport. You know, and cans... D- people that are brewing in cans... I I'm I live in Lyons, Colorado, so Oscar Blues Brewery is mm-hmm. my local brewery.
3: Right, okay. And,
0: you know, talk about who's making the can big. It's, it's Oscar's. And... The packaging itself is is, is very very tight. Um, there's a lot to be said for beer in cans when it's made well.
2: Oh yeah, certainly. Um, story that uh, we can repeat this. It has been a while since it's not going to be old habit for old hat for all our listeners. But uh, when uh, the uh, wholesaler here in Pittsburgh first brought Oscar Blues into the market, I heard about Dale's Pale Ale, Pale Ale in a can. I wanted to try it, and Greg and I were at the beer store and we're looking through the shelves. This is the best beer place in Pittsburgh. It has a thousand different beers and um we're looking us the shelves and i had didn't realize it but i had a prejudice against cans i subliminally blocked them out i didn't see the dale's pale ale and the old chub simply because it was in a can and um since then i've completely gotten over my prejudice because um here in pennsylvania we have um uh sly fox brewing company who cans beers and they make some delicious beer. Uh, Yesterday, I had my first Surly beer in the 16-ounce cans, Mm -hmm. um, and that was some good stuff. And, uh, yeah, so I'm not blind to cans anymore, but it's got to be tough to get people to realize that there can be good beer in cans, because I knew it was a good beer in a can, and I still didn't see it on the shelf.
0: Right. It's got to be tough, but also, too... You know, not many breweries are getting as much press as Oscar's, for example. Right. You know, they're savvy with their packaging, and they and they make that part of the angle of any story. Um, and they're serving, I mean, their thing is big beer in cans. You know, there are local pale ale, um, Dale's pale ale, that's made by Oscar's, is is a big beer. You know, and mm-hmm, that's what's right. so progressive about what they're doing because it just challenges the whole stereotype. And you brought up the word. Canned beer isn't big-bodied beer or big in alcohol, you know, unless you're talking malt liquor. Right, <laughs> it's not, and so they're they're out there. I mean, I think we crunched statistics uh, recently for a press call to try and answer the question how much canned beer is made, and I think it's uh, you know the small guesstimate, and this is this is probably not this is conservative, but twenty five thousand barrels worth, and that's not much. Right. You no. Know? So, if there's a lot of room for cans to kind of start to saturate um, some of the marketplace,
2: I think. Yeah, for a lot of the really small breweries, there's still that barrier to entry of the can. The initial can order, you got to buy a bunch of cans. The, the canning system's cheap now from Cask Systems out of Canada, but the uh, that initial order, we have to buy thirty thousand dollars worth of cans or something like that, can be rough for a small brewery. You
0: no, know, you're absolutely spot on, and frankly, um, you know, I had looked into pricing it out. For a company, and it's true, You, you, if you want a can, it's, an, it's a major investment of, uh, of resources, and running that first can run of whatever the minimum order was, I think it was like 100,000 cans, that's crazy, you know, mm-hmm. for a little brewer.
2: I've talked with a couple of breweries who are trying to figure out if they can legally get like blank cans and put stickers on it, if that'll meet the uh, labeling requirements, and I think it probably would, I mean, there's stickers on bottles, right, so...
0: Yeah, that would make sense if you want to, you know, if you want to deal with trying to center those.
3: Yeah, I guess that's the part
0: that I wouldn't want my machine to be expected to always do it. You know, I was just prompted to, um, when you asked about what's new at the Brewers Association, so Lucy Saunders, um, who's authored a book and we're publishing it um, through the Brewers Publications and it's getting released basically around Great American Beer Festival time, has a new book coming out called um, "The Best of American Beer and Food: Cooking um, with Craft Beer, Cooking okay. and Pairing with Craft Beer." And she just did—I don't have the article in front of me—a whole beer dinner with just canned beer.
3: Okay. Did it wow. backy
0: somewhere, and I caught that article, and that, I mean that's kind of cool. And that book is, I, I think, going to change the landscape um, continually. Actually, just maybe not change, but heighten the landscape. So, the big tie in, at least our chances to get the, to roll in the masses to get them on board with craft beer, um, in addition to what else they might be drinking, is beer and food. And um, there's just a huge potential because wine, which has seemed to have owned the marketplace in pairing with food, really can only contrast just on a general level. um, Because of its acidity, it does very well with contrasting with um, food. But when you pair beer, And Garrett Oliver is a huge advocate of this and getting the word out there. When you pair beer with food, you can complement it and contrast it based on all the flavors in the malt. And, um, you know, it's it's just a whole untapped place in people's minds that I think we kind of are, you know, doing our best to tap into. And, you know, anyone spreading the word should be not just talking about, hey, this great beer, but, hey, this is what food it goes with. This is what it tastes great with. And that's what I like to get people talking about.
2: Yeah, we often try to uh, say what we think a beer would taste great with, but some of our pairings can be a little unconventional.
0: Oh, yeah, (laughs) you were going off on Marshmallow Peeps the other day, and
2: I didn't crack it up. She She does listen to the show. Okay, so we're moving on to the uh, Sunshine Wheat Beer. So you can go ahead and open yours.
1: Hey, This is the American Pale Wheat Ale, 4.8%. All these basically session beers we've had so far. See, it's unfiltered. Or, no, sorry, It's filtered. So no uh, no yeast getting in this one.
0: So I'll share a quick story with beer and food about sunshine wheat. So I have two young kids, four and a half and uh, almost two, and uh, so I don't get to do as much as I like, um, especially exercise wise, but um, or at least as I used to. But the other day I we live rural outside of Lyons and. I threw the kids in the bike carrier, rode seven miles, pulling them on the bike, got a flat tire, had the <laughs> pump on me, filled the air, you know, the tire up with the air, make it into the bike shop, he fixes it. And then we went to the Chinese food place in town, and I was like, I know I'm out with my two kids, and I'm just, you know, just the mom on the scene, but I'm having a beer at this restaurant right now. I'm thirsty. And I got a Sunshine Wheat. Okay. And by golly, did it not go so well. I mean, it just was beautiful. Paired with my um, my Chinese food, it just it was it, it was great. So that is that is my link to trying this again.
2: Okay, yeah, So the list here calls it an American wheat pale ale, but in the description on the website, it mentions it has coriander and orange peel in it. So it's spiced as a wheat beer would be spiced. Right. They they mention that um, hmm. unlike German wheat beers, Sunshine Wheat needs no lemon wedge to bring out its <laughs> citrus bouquet. If anything, a fresh orange slice. Buddies up well to the coriander and orange peel within
1: I mean, I think it's interesting that they talked about uh, a, They talk about a sea of apple and honey notes But I'm just really smelling a lot of citrus on this
2: Well, wait till you take a sip Okay And you'll get some honey notes And and some apple as well That is an apt description
1: You're not kidding <laughs> Wow
0: Yeah, it's definitely got that honey sweetness, floral honey sweetness, but not cloying. It's, not a, it's just got a hint of it's
2: sweet an, to it. It's an interesting honey flavor because it is a honey flavor and not a fermented honey flavor, which we get in a lot of beers where mm-hmm. it says honey, and the only thing we can pick up is kind of that... A sharper flavor that you get from like permanent right. honey and it Indian. tends
1: to be rather cloying as well and and this mm-hmm.
2: is not permanent honey tends to have a really dry flavor for me you I think? wouldn't really call it cloying
1: well this doesn't really have a very sticky sweetness I mean there's the sweetness that's there and it's kind mm-hmm. of a um a bright sweetness that, that billows out a bit but it, it doesn't really stick around like Julia was saying yeah
2: it's it's a nice light flavor the coriander is it's just a hint oh, hand- yeah, and, and it's gone it's not overpowering. It's um. It's not even formidable.
1: It's it's just a nice
2: light tease of coriander and orange.
1: I can see how this would go really well with Chinese food. Yeah, it's
0: great. I think of the three. I mean, my your palate usually wakes up by the by the third sampling. Um, but of the three, this is definitely the most pulled together.
2: Yeah, some of the food pairings on their website are uh, steamed mussels, Thai coconut oh. green curry. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> spicy chili. R- how do you say that? Rienos? Re- Rieno. Rieno. Anything oh, else with cilantro yeah. for that matter? And yeah, certainly.
0: Yeah, this is a really, really pulled together beer. It's just, the, the all the flavors kind of come together and, and dance together really, really well.
1: Well, Julie, one of the things we wanted to ask you about um, was that there was a, recently, I think we got the press release or something about a, the definition of craft beer from um, from the Brewers Association was maintained to kind of remove some beers that were previously considered craft beers from the list.
0: Well, if, what's the question? I
2: can comment Well, yes. let me let me. When I was in New York, I talked to Steve Hindi, and he explained it to me. But maybe you can explain it to our listeners better than I was able to relay it. We were initially taking issue with it should just be about the beer. If the beer in your glass tastes good. And it falls, in it's really hard to define craft beer by the strict letter of the law. But if it's a good beer, then why disclude it? And a couple of examples would be um, Michelob Pale Ale. That's that's a good beer, but it's made by Anheuser Busch, so it's not a craft brewery. Um, and then the one Greg's about to mention is Old Dominion. Since they entered into the deal with the Anheuser Busch, there they don't fall into your guideline your qualifications for being a craft beer anymore. Even though they make, well, rumor has it. Some people were saying the formula has changed and the beer is not as good. But up until then, they were making the same beer, and they were no longer craft beer. And if you could just explain the Brewers Association's opinion and stance on that, that'd be great.
0: Sure, and it's a bit confusing. Um, I mean, we use this term craft beer, and if you think about it, five years ago, people weren't using this term. They were talking about microbreweries. Mm-hmm. So the industry itself really changed the dialogue, and I think that shows the power of the craft brewers and the association, and that's a testament and something pretty exciting to me, at least. Um, and you guys are correct. The definition got redefined um, a little bit before I started. In October of last year, they came out with the small, independent, and traditional definition that I mentioned. And if anyone wants very specific information on the definition, they're welcome to go to org and read it. Um, but the the way it was explained to me because I wasn't here during all the discussion and changes is that in order to define an industry and to track it meaning for statistics so for statistics specifically the association had to be able to define what it was going to measure and I'm telling you that the media calls we get, and I, I really probably talk on, on behalf of the Brewers Association, um, just my desk, that doesn't include Paul Gatza, who compiles our statistics, and other spokespersons on behalf of the B.A. I probably talk to two to three media on average a day, and that's just on average. Um, and so the, in a way, to me at least, the the need was, was pushed upon us to define it once the dialogue probably changed. And smaller brewers have different challenges than the larger brewers. They have challenges like access to market and distribution and purchasing challenges and government affairs challenges that are all different than what the larger brewers who are doing and making also world-class beers and really setting the model because if you look at the larger brewers, it's just so impressive of what they've done in our country and and added to our history and culture. Um, But for the BA, the Brewers Association, to Track and um, measure what the craft brewers, those just under 1,400 brewers in the U.S. do. It was needed to further define it more specifically. And when you do that, certain people are in the definition and certain people aren't. That's just the way it is. And you know, it's an ever-evolving thing. It sounds like the definition um, has changed several times over the decades, and I'm sure it'll change again one day. So. It's, it is what it is right now, and it at least allows us a methodology to be able to provide statistics that are generally representing the segment. Um, so that would hopefully answer some of the questions out there.
2: You know, you just made like 10% of our listeners just burst out laughing because you said it is what it is. <laughs> Do you remember that show?
0: No. I, oh, there's, there's a no out there?
2: we got Greg? Use the phrase a couple times, it is what it is. And we got an email from someone who wrote <laughs> in who says he didn't like the phrase because that's what his manager types at work said just when he, when they were blowing him off.
0: Oh, wow. So
2: to make it even more fun, we used it about 600 times the rest of the show.
0: Nice. Well, it is what it is. <laughs>
1: right. <so.
0: laughs> in a facetious way at all.
1: <laughs> but I, I think that's interesting because um, it reminds me in in a little bit, I mean, it's not the same thing, obviously, because you're you're a marketing organization, and this is a totally different system. But I remember when th- they were saying, "Well, how do you define a planet? Do you put do, is Pluto a planet anymore?" And they decided, "Well, they made some new rules, and Pluto's not a planet." And there was a lot of complaining, but it really doesn't change Pluto. It no, it doesn't change Pluto at all. And
0: exactly. It, it, so drink the beer you drink, like what you like, purchase what you purchase encourage others to do so, and just know that we have to do our job to provide some form of measure for what, generally speaking, the craft brewers are doing in the marketplace.
2: You know, it's, it's really a tough position for me because I'm always trying to figure out exactly where I stand. And because I, the one reason I started the show, there was really a couple main reasons. One is to educate more people about good beer. But also it was to help promote craft brewers because mm-hmm. they need the promotion. I mean, that's why you guys exist and then we I've evolved my thing into, you know, politics aside, it's really about the beer. But I still want to promote craft brewers. So um, it's kind of a tough spot to figure out exactly where I think I believe I stand in this thing.
1: Well, I mean, we definitely want to promote craft beer as much as possible. But you also want to say that um, beer is is excellent sometimes um not necessarily a craft beer by this definition but still an excellent beer you you can find. I mean I, like I don't think you would consider um Chimay to be a craft brewer, right? But who huh. certainly has an excellent beer.
0: Right, that's absolutely right.
1: Right. Okay, so the
2: um Sunshine wheat beer. Wow, that thing was
0: it's got great a, lot,
2: a lot of good
1: flavor to it, a lot of really um refreshing and uh probably complements food extremely well i mean we're not feeding but you know julia does have some experience with this so um it's it's
0: got a nice soft mouthfeel too i like mm -hmm. the way it it flows down the other two were definitely scrubbing the tongue more more carbonated that there's something to be said for you know good old-fashioned fermented wheat
2: right absolutely so that's all the beers you have so i guess it's ranking time yeah where you put the beers in order um I guess I'll go first, and we'll let Julia come in second. All right. So, so my favorite beer of the night was the Sunshine Wheat Beer. It just had so much going on. It was so enjoyable. Uh, the coriander, the, the apples and honey flavor that was in there, it just was a nice beer. And then my uh, number two beer of the night is going to be the uh, the Blue Paddle, that German Bavarian Pils. Nice, clean, crisp Pilsner. In this time of year, that's just quite enjoyable. And then I'm going to put the uh, the Skinny Dip last. Uh, like I mentioned, it reminded me a bit of um, While well, it still had a lot of flavor It wasn't quite as full-bodied as the other beers It, it Knowing that it was a light beer I could taste that it was lower in calories And um, I don't know it just While well, I'd enjoy it And I'd pro- I would definitely order it again it just not, it wasn't up to the caliber of the other two. And it's a
1: session beer. I mean, it truly is one of those session beers, like we've right. talked about, how how we want to promote that as much as possible.
2: Right. Okay, so Julia, how do you enjoy the beers this evening?
0: Okay, and so since this is a preference poll, and i got to tell you, this is so much more fun than most of my interviews. <laughs> um, the Sunshine Weed, clearly, I mean, I sounded slighted. I just think it really just came together as a great beer. Highly recommend it. Um, clearly, it would go great with so many foods, um, and it just was just... just felt good on the tongue as I drank it. Um, and then the other two to me are, 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 you know, both second place in a way because, you know, they both had their merits. The Blue Paddle Pilsner, uh, just because that it was made from New Belgian and they did it so well and it was a classic German style, and, I mean, how amazing that is to me. And it, it really was a very clean beer. Um, I think it deserves accolades. And then Skinny Dip as a session beer, a lot of a lot of my girlfriends we go to uh, the bluegrass planet bluegrass festivals in Lyons, Colorado. One of the lar- most popular bluegrass festivals in the country, and it fits with New Belgians' theme. They're the beer sponsor. Sustainability. All the cups are um, compostable. All the silverware at that festival is compostable. <laughs> they have volunteers that literally man the trash stations there to make sure that everything is disposed of properly. When the fact that New Belgium involved with that festival just talks to how great they are about sustainability and the environment. But anyway, I mean, m- most of my girlfriends are just drinking skinny dip in the hot sun. If you can envision just being really hot, wanting something light that you can drink several of, it really does a fine job. And I think that that if you can pronounce it kefir lime, kef- kefir lime leaf, really is a, is a genius twist to it. So I'm getting... Yeah, those.
2: I mean, that flavor was definitely made it... An out of the, and out of the ordinary beer, yeah. Um,
1: and it really helped to to, to bring the, the flavor component component up on a light beer, which is really nice. So you so what would you pick? Would you pick uh, the pilsner second and skinny dip third?
0: So you're making me do that? I'm yeah, kidding. we yeah we we, for, we, have
2: a, <laughs> we have to do it even when we don't want to. So you All so right. do you. you
0: guys are the boss? Um, I'm just playing the game. All right, I will give. It's a preference poll, right? Yes. yes. Okay, I'm giving Skinny Dip second,
2: Blue Paddle third. Yeah, it's all, you know, our ratings, when they're so tight, could change, you know, per the evening. So it's really how you feel right now and how you enjoyed the beer when we've it's had, that close. We've
1: had to force each other to, to make decisions even when we didn't want to. So we have to do the same thing to you. All right. But uh, I uh, my, my feelings were slightly different. I mean, I did enjoy all three beers, but I am always a sucker for a good Pilsner. And uh, the Blue Paddle really did... Uh, impressed me with what New Belgium was capable of, and man, I I just I love a really great crisp hoppy pilsner, and I was really in the mood for something hoppy today. So, like like we say often, uh, the best beer is the beer that you're enjoying right now, not necessarily something that you you'll always have in the back of your mind. Uh, to me, this this Blue Paddle Pilsner w- was number one for me. I would then I think go for Sunshine Wheat next. Because I, I always like a good wheat beer as well, and I really did enjoy the sweetness and the kind of flavors that were coming with this. And I really think this would go great with some with a meal. Skinny dip is third, I think, because it has it, it's facing some tough competition from these other two. And in general, I mean, they're stronger flavor than skinny dip, so skinny skinny dips is going to be a little bit behind on on that. And you
2: know the show where we did the the craft light beers, right? Where we did Sam Adams Light, we did. Uh, they weren't all technically craft beer, but we did Sam Adams Light, Heineken Premium Light, Amstel Light, Lining Kugel's Light. This one might have
1: took that show. It might have taken that show. It'd be tough that Sam Adams Light was actually really good. It really surprises how good the Sam Adams Light was.
2: But this one with those extra flavors, it might have set it apart.
1: It, it, it's it's interesting tape because the the Sam Adams was just it was a Vienna lager, but with a little bit you know sort of lighter, a little and bit less is, Vienna, right? And so th- this is more of. We're gonna brew a sort of a, a light a light ale and amp up the flavors on it as much as we can with these extra with this kefir lime other stuff like that.
0: I'm definitely glad to see Sam Adams light still around. I think they're you know doing brave things to go out and compete in the light beer market and provide somebody a, a craft example of that is pretty pretty cool. And it's been around now, certainly for a few years.
2: Yeah, I'm waiting for the utopius light.
0: Ah, never <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Utopia show—it's making the rounds. It was on the NBC Today Show on July third. They did a beer and food spot. Maybe somebody, some of your listeners, um, saw that. The View, which is that show with Barbara Walters in the on in the mornings, geared towards women. They did a beer and food spot. Um, a whole, you know, a little segment on it. Harpoon was on it. Utopia was on it, and Utopia is getting some play.
3: You know,
2: for the the View, I would have loved to seen. The head brewer at Santa Adams, you know that bald guy with the beard is on the commercials?
0: Yeah, I've seen him on the commercials. Have him
2: sit down with Barbara Walters instead of Jim Cook? That would have been hilarious.
0: <laughs> it actually wasn't Jim Cook. The picture oh, okay. to the story is that both those spots I just brought up was one of the senior wine writers for Food and Wine magazine. Okay. He is now all of a sudden on two major TV shows in the, in the last month touting beer and food.
3: Oh, very cool.
0: Yeah, it is. It's pretty exciting. And this was all beer. It was imported beer um, and United States made beer. It was it was it was a nice mix, nice representation.
1: So, what might we see? Food and wine turn to food and wine and beer.
0: Be great. We love Mama let fo- uh, so Let's let's just put in votes now. Well, I can all start, start emailing them and let them know we want that to happen.
2: <laughs> right. Well, there's the. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, you know, to help get beer in front of women, there's that website Bella Online. I can't remember the lady's name, but they have a regular beer column on their website.
0: Yeah, and she is, I believe, going to be doing something for Great American Beer Festival.
3: Oh, okay. Um,
0: and anyone that wants to know what's new this year for GABF, go to greatamericanbeerfestival.com and uh, check out what's going on. There's a food pavilion that goes on during the fest. There's also a brewer studio that you can sit and um, watch brewers be interviewed. So there's a multitude of things besides just going around and hopefully picking one style of beer and trying to taste as much as you can.
2: Right. Well, I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait to check that thing out.
1: Yeah, I wish I could go. I'm really uh, bummed that I can't. But, uh,
0: we'll get you next year, maybe.
1: Hopefully. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up, Joy. Is there anything else you want to say before we go?
0: Well, I just absolutely can't believe you guys took a chance to have a, a phone call taster. <laughs> so thank you, and I, I, I really... Just appreciate Jeff and Greg's open-mindedness and um, everyone listening support these guys because you know they've been doing it for two years which means they're doing something right and um, I just I just want to see you guys last and just grow what you do so thank you it was, a, it was a total treat to get to do this okay Thanks well a lot. thank you we really very appreciate much.
1: you coming on and uh, if you want to hear more about the Brew Association go to uh, beertown.org and uh, I guess that's it thank you very much Julia for joining us and we'll see you next week with a special show. All
0: right. Take care. Thanks again. Thanks. All right. That's all
1: for Craft Beer Radio. Send us an email at beer at craftbeerradio.com or check out our website, craftbeerradio.com, for forums and more information. Our music opening and closing were Out of Towners by the band St. Dragon, available from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Craft Beer Radio is licensed under the Creative Commons license. Check out CraftbeerRadio.com for more information.
3: Party on, everybody. Call the cops, I think
0: he's coming home early. Does he know that we're onto him? Onto him. Me and her being playing Pokemon. Don't you know that we're into
3: it? Onto it. Got the station waiting out of town, no.
2: Don't you know there's no stopping us? Look
3: we We will find a hidden place People lay down we have the man's face promise me you'll never go away So I don't have to put these roads on your grave